This is going to make me sound like an alcoholic, but I've got the box wine ready at my disposal. The entire box wine. Yes, because I don't want to have to get up. It's okay. I made a, a drink with, I don't know, probably like three or four shots of bourbon in it. Woo! I don't know why I keep being so heavy handed. I just feel like the gold rush needs the heavy hand of bourbon and like there's no other way to make it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just glad I don't have a straw in this right now. Otherwise I'd be like six drinks in and we would not be recording. Yeah, I actually saw something, I think on the internet, where it's like a sipping straw. So there's like extra like parts at the bottom. So I think that you drink drinks slower while you're using a straw. I was like, that made me think of you. I was like, Aaron could use that. Aaron could use that. (laughs) Aaron needs to figure out how to slow down with our drinks. (laughs) Maybe I'll put that on my like Christmas stocking list. Yeah, I hope this isn't another fake news I'm telling you, like the Starbucks no longer charging for nut milks. So I hope this is a real thing. And I am not just a a victim of clickbait. (laughs) Yeah, you're a victim. You being a victim of clickbait caused me an extra 70 cents that I wouldn't have spent without you. So (laughs) I'm sorry. I had the worst latte of my life Sunday morning. Oh my gosh, really? Like it? Like it tasted bad or? Oh my God, it was horrible. It's a coffee shop that's really close to my apartment. And Ben and I go there quite frequently. Ben is my partner, for those of you that don't know. Um, Cause we get these like, oh my God, I need to stop saying where I live. <laughs> Wait, Maddie, don't you live in apartments on like the fourth floor? You're like 435, right? Oh my God. <laughs> you could probably see your balcony from the street it might have like a dead basil plant on it maybe an orange cat every once in a while but we get a coupon book and they always have like five dollars off your purchase of like ten dollars or more mm. so it's a great deal but i kid you not this latte tasted like straight up ass like i have never had a fucked up latte before but i think they like burnt the beans Ben was saying the guy was like, he was super slow and he didn't really seem like he knew what he was doing. So I I think he was just maybe like a new barista, but the latte sucked. Wow. I, did you finish it? So I had like quarter of it. Okay. Um, and then I put it in the fridge and then actually yesterday I like had it iced. Still bad, but not as bad. That's wild. I don't think I've ever had like I truly, I've had like, you know, a mediocre latte or like, oh, that's, a, you know, but like bad as in trouble drinking it. I've never had that. Kind yeah, of this latte. was foul. Yeah. Wow. That's really unfortunate. Anyway, hi, everybody. <laughs> ah, hi. Yes. Yeah, so welcome to our podcast. I'm so glad you decided to tune in for another episode. Uh, what are we talking about? Maybe today? this is their first episode. Oh, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Either welcome back or welcome for the first time yep today's topic is an asian slash pacific islander inspired book yes so even though you guys won't be hearing this in may um (laughs) it's may for us (laughs) in our hearts it is always may so it's may right now yes as of recording today it's may 24th i don't know when y'all are gonna listen to this but it's, it's, it's May. I hope it's December. Yeah, that's a lot to say. Maybe we'll wait until May 24th, 2023 to release it. Oh my goodness, that's ridiculous. Then we're just lazy. If we release this on May 24th, 2023, please like come at us. Like tell us that we're lazy and unprofessional. All those words. That's intense. I don't want hate mail. If this is a year late, we deserve hate mail. Oh, yeah, I agree. But yeah, my book is The Hand of the Sun King by J.T. Greathouse. And it is a lesser known book. There are only 640 ratings on Goodreads. It is the first book in a series that's the second one's releasing, I think, August. I want to say August 4th. The series is called Packed in Pattern. 
And I got to say, one of the initial things that drew my eye in was the cover is really pretty. Oh, really? What's on the cover? What does it look like? I got to... Let me see if I... I just found it. Um, It's funny because... Well, first of all, I definitely forgot to look up this book, um, but I've definitely- got to look yours up. <laughs> okay, we better be really good at describing the synopses then and like coming up with- We didn't do our homework, guys. We didn't do our homework. I struggled this week getting this book read. I finished it this morning. It's just been a struggle of a week for everyone, you know? Please have patience with us and everyone yeah. in your life. Yes. Um, but yeah, I've definitely seen this cover before, but I can't remember from where. Um, it's Patrick, definitely stunning. Oh, Patrick well, read it. I don't know if you watched his booktube video. I did not, but I follow him on Goodreads. Um, I actually don't watch Patrick. Jesse May? Jesse May, I follow her. She's a booktuber. Um, she's really nice, really cute. Everyone should go watch her. But she shelved it. So maybe she shelved it as two reads. So maybe she put it on a TBR one time. And I remember it from there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I like that. I like the cover a lot. It's It's a beautiful cover. My name is Foolish Curve. Sorry, I I need to get (laughs) off the, I need to get off. Get off the good reads. Yeah, tell me, tell me what it's about, Maddie, before I spoil it for myself. Yep. So it's a fantasy book, Asian inspired fantasy book, Um, a man well, he starts off as, as a boy. When Alder, also known as Foolish Kerr, as Aaron just said, mm-hmm. he's torn between two different paths for his future. One of them follows his father's path, and that includes studying to take this imperial exam and hopefully becoming one of the hands of the empire. And the hands of the empire use magic, and that magic is something that the emperor like owns and then kind of like divvies out to his hands and voices and I'll I'll speak about that a little bit later his other opposing path is to follow that of his mother's family and they are resisting this empire with their own type of magic and they represent like the rebellion that line of the family has members of the rebellion but he's also torn because he wants to seek his own magical path that is unbound by the empire or the rebellion so he wants to like break out of the fold and be his own person. So that's a very common theme, but I kind of I kind of like the fact that he's pulled in two different directions. I feel like usually it's just uh, you hear books of like, oh, they were brought up this certain way with a certain destiny, and like people are trying to escape that one destiny. But the fact that um, do you say his two parents? So he's torn between the two parents and what they want for him, and like that kind of culture and. Um, it's honestly what did the parents want for him because his mother actually by marrying his father gave up that whole rebellious side and she wants her son to follow in what her husband wants him to do. That's kind of part of her giving up that rebellion. Mm. But it's other members of her family want him to go down the rebellion pathway, like her mother. So like um, when Alder's grandmother plays a big role in introducing him into that side of the family's history and that magic side. That's really interesting. I feel like we don't have enough, I haven't read enough books where like the grandmother plays an important role. Yeah, and that's another really cool aspect of the book and how it's Asian inspired because I don't know if you knew this, but um, with Chinese children, you send them away for I think a year, if not longer, and the grandparents raise them at a really young age, like two years old. Oh my gosh. No, I didn't know that. One years old. Yep. It's part of that culture. And that's like most Chinese families, I guess. I believe so. I don't want to like, maybe it's just not, I don't want to incorrectly say that, but my friend, her grandparents still lived in China and her parents had moved to the United States. She went back to China for a year and was raised by them. And I know that when I talked with her, that was the norm. Hmm. So yeah, and right now, I'll kind of give not like a disclaimer, but JT Greathouse is not Asian. So that's a bit of a letdown. Obviously, you know, we'd like better representation in books, but he has a BA in history and philosophy and a minor in Asian studies. And he spent four months of intensive study in Chinese language and culture at the Minzu University of China in Beijing. Okay. Okay. So he's not just oh, no. a random he knows- white person off the street. No, writing he knows Asian his culture. stuff. But obviously, we would, you know, rather see representation. 
Yeah. Rather it be like an own voice author type thing. Yeah. But I think he did a really great job incorporating a lot of culture. Mm-hmm. Well, good. The book follows, it's kind of like an autobiography of one elder's life. It gave me strong The Name of the Wind vibes. Really? Yes. Um, for better or for worse. Even one element of one of the magic systems is called Calling the Wind. And that's a big part of The Name of the Wind in the Kingkiller Chronicles. So I was mm. like, hmm. I mean, like, it's inspired, but it's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. For me, like, that book, you're following the character who is, like, a hero. And in this book, I don't know. I There was a detachment for me between myself and this main character. So I don't know. I didn't feel very connected to him. So I think that part was kind of lost in having it be an autobiography journey style book. You really need to be connected to the main character whose life you're following. And so I struggled with that. That's fair. I feel like the things I didn't like about the book kind of aligned with the parts of it that were trying to be the name of the wind. I mean, there were other things I didn't like as well, but. Did you like the, the Hand of the Sun King? I don't know. You don't I, know. I still haven't rated it. Oh, I mean, that's fair. Like I didn't dislike it, but I, I don't know if I'm putting it at a three or a four. So maybe talking through this with you guys will help me come to a revelation about the book. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I struggled because I was at a three and then I started writing up like notes for the podcast. And I was like, oh, wow, this this had so many like good elements. So I'm trying to reconcile between those two feelings that's so hard I feel like a lot of the times it either happens like that where you're like wow I really didn't like this book but also like I don't really have a lot of bad things to say or it goes the other route of oh the book was like all right you know I kind of liked it but then when you go to write about it or talk about it all that comes out is what you hated about the book and you're like are you sure that rating was as high as it should have been yeah that's totally fair yeah we'll um, see guys I'm going to go into a bit about the different Asian-inspired elements about the book. Yes. It was really strong Asian world building with the setting and the magic system, as well as the philosophy in the book. So his mother's family's people are the Nyam. And so their culture is like Nyami culture. And this type of magic, he's first introduced when he goes to a temple with his grandmother. And there are these wolf gods guarding the temple. And I, I believe their names are Okara, and that's mainly the important one, but there are three of them. Mm-hmm. And then the other culture is Siamese culture, and that's the empire's culture. And with that, there's like a social hierarchy, there's different relationships and rules and structures that you have to follow. Like they talk about three distinct relationships, that between father and son, that between husband and wife, and that between elder brother and younger brother. So every time you meet somebody, you have to kind of look at the situation, whether you and this other individual can see yourself as elder brother, younger brother, husband, wife, or father, son. Because women don't matter in this culture. I was just going to say, I was like, there is no like female-female relationship in that or... No, in the entirety of the Siamese culture, women are, they have like their distinct place. And I'm pretty sure it's only to have children. Yeah. He also sees his mother as weak based off of the situation, I think, but it still pisses me off. Um, They don't eat together or like she's not allowed to eat with him. He gets injured at one point in the book and it's seen as a bad thing to sit with him while he's ill. She's not even supposed to see him during that. Is that like to do with seeing a man at like a vulnerable point or is it just, oh, it's not super explained? No, like your your guess is as good as mine. I mean, potentially, yeah. Okay, interesting. We don't love that for them. We don't. And so there is one conversation with them where when and his mother, where obviously he's like, you know, like you're so weak and like you, and she's like, no, I'm not weak. You know, I risked everything to go live with and have a child with a, a man and marry a man that went against my entire culture and background, which is fair. So. Yeah. But I think that's part of the book, you know, because there are other important women that I will like get into, but just in the Siamese culture and the emperor's culture, 
women are seen as way less. Like for the first part of the book where he is in like his homeland and his hometown, there are so few women to the point where I was like, what is what is going on here? Because they're not allowed to take the imperial examinations to rise in status and become hands of the emperor. You would have to pass the exam to hold a high title. It doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to act as the hand of the emperor or the voice of the emperor. You still need to pass it to make a to have a chance yeah pretty much can you go into have you talked about what the hand of the emperor is what they do right yeah yes i can get into that so the hand of the emperor is like the second assistant to the emperor and the first assistant are the voices so in different regions of this country where the book is set you have hands and voices acting out the desires of the emperor essentially and kind of running the country so when they pass the imperial examination, and if they are lucky enough to be appointed as a hand, for reference, when one elder is sitting for his imperial examination, only one person in his class is given the opportunity to be a hand. So he starts as an apprentice to a hand and then you know goes from there. Mm. Um, so they're given a tetragram on their hand, and that is usually the right hand. But when elder on his right hand before he sat for the imperial examination was carved by his grandmother with her magic system. And that carving bound that magic to him and kind of put a constraint on that magic so that it wasn't plentiful. And so his grandmother's, I'm sorry, this is a little confusing, but his grandmother's magic system is centered around this thing called the Iron Dance and something called Veering where they turn into eagle hawks. Okay. And so this magic system is more like about adventure and passion and, you know, a bit less structured than the Sinese magic system. So back to the tetragram on the hand. So when they pass the imperial examination and they're appointed to be hand, they usually get a tetragram on their right hand, but he had already had these carvings on his right hand from his grandmother. He cut himself I believe with a porcelain plate, or at least he told people that it was like from a plate so that he could like get new scars over his hand carving so that nobody would look at it because it's this big, like treasonous thing. Cause he already looks different than everybody else in Siamese culture because of his hair and his skin. And so he doesn't want to seem out of place and he doesn't want people to think that he's not going to support and work for the emperor. Okay. So they kind of didn't trust him. Or they, did they just think less of him? So they don't know about that. So he kind of uses this scheme. He cuts himself so nobody knows. Mm-hmm. And then he, during that time, he's being tutored so that he could take the examinations. And his tutor teaches him how to write with his left hand as well. And so he becomes ambidextrous. Mm-hmm. When they go to put the tetragram on his hand, he makes this big show of being ambidextrous and that they should put on his left hand because this just proves that he's even more abled, that he can write with both his left and his right hand. He's like, my right hand is already ruined from when I was a child and I had scars. And so my left hand is the hand that I write with. And so. Um, what's the deal with the hands? Like, does power come out of their hands? Do they, is writing with their hands really important? Like, is it magic? Is it? It's kind of symbolized in the hands. Oh, okay. So it's just symbology. Yes. But the carvings on the hand, the tetragram, that is what binds the magic to them. And so it's very important and it's, it's the source of all of their magic. It is the source, but also the constraint. And it keeps on appearing later on in the book as well. Without the tetragram, he cannot use the magic of the Siamese culture that the emperor... It's technically called like the pattern and the pact. Like that's essentially what this magic is. He can't use the pattern without the tetragram. Okay. He needs the tetragram, but being marked is confining him as well. Like he wants magic without bounds, but all of this magic has bounds. You're given it, but you're given it with the caveat. Okay. That makes sense. So what is the magic? What can he do? And what caveat has been put on him? What's confining him? Well, he's just confined with the level of power that he could use. He can't just... So he can't, like, take over the world? 
Yes. There's an instance at the beginning before he gets the carvings on his hand, he uses magic without the carving, which I think is essentially unheard of. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, whoa, this dude's pretty powerful, actually. Um, and he just feels completely free and weightless. And like the whole world is within his grasp. But then, you know, he almost like fucking dies. And so his his grandma's like, oh my God, I'm carving your hand right now, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so she was protecting him. She wasn't just being a bitch. Correct. She was protecting him, but also it's got to be bound. That's how this world works. You can't just be free and at liberty to do everything that you want. So I've explained what you do in the Niami culture with the carving of the hand and the iron dance and how you can become an eagle hawk and fly. It's kind of cool. Ooh. But with being a hand of the emperor, you learn six different sorceries that comprise the canon. That's what they call it. I don't really know why the hell it's called the canon. But throughout the book, you kind of learn what these are. And so... For instance, some of these include battle sorcery, healing, um, binding, shielding, and you get to be there with him as he's learning them. As he's learning them, he's realizing all that he can't do as well. Like, he can heal things, but he can't, like, resuscitate people. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of like, oh, I want to do more. Kind of wishes his grandma didn't contain him. And that the empire didn't contain him as well. Because he's contained by both. Oh, he's got the double containment, huh? Yeah, left and right hand, Aaron. Oh my god! He's got the tetragram on his left hand and the carving of the hand. He cuts off his hands. Is he now, like, mega powerful? Cuts them off? Yeah. If he cuts off his hands, he, in theory, could no longer use the magic. Oh, because everything's channeled through the hands? Yeah. Makes sense why they put... The tetragram that constrains the magic on the hands because the magic comes through the hands first. Yeah, they're constraints, but also sources. Okay, yes, you said that. Slow. A little slow. No, that's totally fair. This was kind of a confusing world. It really sounds like it. You're making me feel a little dumb, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, it sounds very interesting too, though. This is also the first adult fantasy book we've ever talked about, I feel like. That makes a lot of sense. We need people to like, if you're listening in your car, y- y'all need to pull over, take a listen, you know, figure out this world. Yeah, that's like when I try to use audiobooks for high fantasy. And I never try to start an audiobook, a high fantasy audiobook. I try to start it as a book and then like transition because it kind of takes some time for my brain to grasp, especially yep. if there's maps involved. This book did not have a map. Downside for book. Did, not did you need map. it? Was, like, geography a big deal? Well, yeah, he did move around this empire, and it seemed a lot more vast, and I do think a map would have been a good thing. Hmm. He wasn't moving around a ton, and it wasn't that confusing, but I think it would have added a good element. I think just maps need to be standard for every single book on the planet. Right? I even wanted to know, like, what did this country look like? What was its shape? Mm-hmm. Publishers and authors out there. New standard. Maps for everything. I love maps. There's also some books that, like, draw characters in it, so you can picture what the characters are. Like, I was like Atlas like. Six. Yes. Wow, I think I was definitely just thinking of Atlas Six, like, from our, our previous conversation. Yeah. Is it so wild that I'm telling you about a book that you told me about? Thank you for book-splaining. You're so welcome. All right, guys. I was just telling Maddie about how I got the wrong Chipotle order, and it was white rice, steak, cheese, lettuce, and sour cream. That's a red flag, ladies. If you are trying to test a person out as a first date to see if they're an an adult, if you're an adult and you're trying to see if you're dating an adult, take them to Chipotle and see what they order. And if they order white rice, steak, cheese, lettuce, and sour cream, that's a child. Gotta get some salsa. Gotta get some salsa, get some Get some flavor. There was no spice to it. Lettuce is barely a vegetable in this case. Like, I ate it because mama didn't raise one, but also... I hope you had salsa at home. My friend got an extra... They, like, gave her an extra guac, and so she let me have her extra guac. I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, I guess I 
Wow, I had hot sauce in my fridge. I should have just put hot sauce in it. What a I didn't fucking even, dumbass. I didn't even think about that. That's, wow. Wow, that's on me. Mm-hmm. I'm a red flag. You I know, I was, I was about to say that. I was like, I wouldn't date you. <laughs> I mean, I would, but. But yeah, just thought everyone needed to know. Back to Wen Alder. I wonder if he likes Chipotle. Is he the type to order a no. plethora of vegetables or is he a... He would probably order so much salsa, it'd all be soup. Oh my god, I did that with Naf Naf once. I couldn't finish it. Try eating a tzatziki hummus soup with a little bit of rice in it. Not cute. Oh my god. Do you remember when we went to Wendy's with our friend Gabe? And Gabe ordered... Is this the Wendy's where we sat in the drive through for 45 minutes and yes. I hadn't ordered anything and I was not happy? Yes, correct. Everyone else is thrilled because we were getting Wendy's, but Maddie was Maddie was the mom and she was ready to go home. I was ready to go home. <laughs> but yeah, our friend Gabe ordered a chicken sandwich and because all the sauces are free, he got every single sauce on it. And then, you know, it was 45 minutes later. So I forgot that he did that. And so I was like, oh, Gabe, give me a bite. And he did. And that was the biggest mistake ever. That was so bad. I... I didn't have your latte, but I assume that they're on par. It was so bad. Oh, let's talk about like good food occurrences. In case anyone's curious, I had some, I made like some Romesco inspired sauce on Sunday that I ate for lunch that I had meal prepped. And I'm pretty sure my jar of roasted red peppers were no longer good. And so I'm reaping the benefits right now. So honestly, just the vibe of this podcast is jank food experiences. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (sighs) No one's eating well this week. Oh, God. (laughs) It's a bad week all around. I need a reset. Yeah. Wenelder, what are you eating? What did you have for dinner, Wenelder? You probably had some amazing Asian-inspired meal that you couldn't eat with your mother. Because what a sexist society. What a sexist Siamese culture society. Yes. Men, don't eat with your mom. I want to eat with my mom. Sounds so nice. Right? I want to have dinner with my mom. So other Asian-inspired elements. Mm-hmm. I think we last left off on the magic system. But I really enjoyed the setting, most of all. Because it really made you feel like you were in China or anywhere in Asia. They described the pavilions and the gardens and all the different colors really beautifully. They talked about, I don't know if you've heard of a palanquin. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's a mode of transportation in Chinese culture. It's where it takes four people to carry and lift you. And then you're like carried places. You've definitely seen it in like movies and stuff, but that's how when elder and other people high up in the empire get around. Okay, that's cool. I kind of like that. I've never heard of that in, well, I guess I have heard of it in like ancient cultures, I think, but I've never heard of it in a book. Yeah, there's definitely ancient culture inspiration in a lot of the setting and a lot of what's going on. Another really cool aspect was calligraphy and handwriting were a really important role in the book. So when they're sitting for the imperial examinations, and I already discussed how he was ambidextrous, but you are also graded not only on how accurate your answers are, but also how good your handwriting is. Oh. Yeah, it was very interesting. And when I talk about the tetragram, I don't know like what language it's inspired by exactly, but it is like a marking of like Chinese, Japanese character mm-hmm. that is on your hand and represents like a word or so. So That's it's so interesting. Cool. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, and that's something that, I don't know, I've never read a book where I've seen or heard about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was super cool. So what was this, like, what was the plot? I mean, what was this main guy going for? Yeah, so I also, one of the other things I didn't like about the book was it was really hard to figure out what the plot was. Oh, okay. Okay, it's not just me then. It's everyone who's reading like It's like a journey. It's like he's going on this, like, journey to find himself and that's where like I go back to comparing it to the name of the wind because you don't really know where the plot 
of that book is very much. You're kind of just following his story, like a mm-hmm. hero's story. And that's what this book was trying to do. I mean, the whole premise is he's trying to figure out himself and how and what he wants, how big of a role he wants magic to play in his life and how he wants that embodied. Like if he wants to be free of all of his history and his upbringing and just go off on his own. And like, is that even possible for him? That's kind of what it is. So it's it's like the fantasy version of a coming of age story. I kind of like that. I don't think I, we have enough character-driven stories, like purely character-driven in fantasy. I mean, yeah, but the character's got to be good for that to work. Oh, coming at you, Great House. I was even reading some other people's reviews and just some people really, really did like it, but the people who gave it four stars or less also struggled connecting with him. He definitely has flaws, which is good, but he doesn't have any, like, I don't know, not not a whole bunch of redeeming qualities. He's pretty arrogant. Like, he thinks he's so much greater than everybody else, and that's why he he's greater than everybody else, and so he should have this ability to not be confined by the rules of magic. That sounds really irritating to read from. Like, I'm not, he wasn't a bad character. Okay. Like, he had good points and bad points. But during his apprenticeship, he is with Hand Usher and Voice Goldenfinch. And Voice Goldenfinch has two sons. And one of them is named Oriole. And they eventually form, like, a really good connection and friendship. But... When Alder saw Oriole is less than him, which is interesting because he is the son of a voice. And those are people who are super like high up and powerful in this culture. And if when Alder hadn't been named apprentice of a hand, he would not be anywhere near the same level as Oriole. But Oriole failed his examinations. And so when Alder initially looks at him as less than himself, mm-hmm. but he even like looked down upon him. Because he was learning horse riding from him. And he was like, well, this is pointless and stupid. You know, I could just, I'm so smart. I don't need to learn how to ride a horse kind of thing. Eventually Mommy he gets over that. About that. But like, yeah, you do see his growth with that. Like their friendship was one of my favorite parts of the book. So. Okay. But it, he is very naive. Maybe because this book was, I think like 375 pages and like the name of the wind is 700 you get more character development and growth i don't know i just feel like a lot of the relationships he makes are very fleeting that's not always his fault it's a lot to do with like circumstances of the plot and the book Mm -hmm. and i feel like with these hero stories you need somebody who's you kind of need a, a rags to riches kind of thing. I could be wrong and like people could disagree with me about that, but they need to struggle. And this guy is not struggling. Hmm. There definitely needs to be struggle within the book, but it, it would take like a talented writer to, I guess, give the main character privilege in a novel. Cause I feel like not many fantasy writers do. And it sounds like he's, privilege and that he's not struggling and no one's calling him out on that yeah i mean you do know he's like internally struggling with who he is and he does have to hide a lot of things in order to pave his way Mm kind of hide things from his past but he also isn't passionate about any of the things that he's trying to hide like if he was passionate about his nyani culture i'd feel differently Mm -hmm. but he's but he's not because all he wants is to seek this path of magic unbound by any constraint. And I just feel like that's very selfish. Yeah, if you don't want to do anything with it, then what, what do you plan on doing with it? Yeah, I feel like he doesn't necessarily have like a greater purpose besides his own self-interest. And that's what I think also leads to a disconnect with the reader. He's not avenging anything. He really wasn't given any discrimination growing up. Yeah, it sounds like it would be very hard for the reader to root for him or to exactly get behind any of his actions and be like, no, I'd be okay if he failed. You know, doesn't really bother me. Yeah. I'm really not hearing 
anything saying that you liked this book. I'm really surprised that you're between a three to four. I'm going to be honest. Like, I'm not hearing anything. Either, either this book is very hard to just describe in general or just like this is a, like not the optimal formatting to like recommend this book or you're just meh about it. I really enjoyed the setting and all the different elements to an Asian-inspired high fantasy book. All of that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And the writing was done well. I just thought there were certain aspects that were lacking. Yeah. I thought it got a bit boring at parts. I had to ask my mother to use an audible credit so I could have the audiobook so I could get through it. <laughs> so I'm probably, after all of this, I'm probably going to rate it a three. Mm-hmm. Probably in my head, it's a three, two, five. Because I've had other threes that were like so much worse, but because mm-hmm. you know, rating is hard. But you need to become yes. bitchier with your rating. I need to be bitchier. Yeah, give them more ones and twos. I have given ones and twos. I don't give them out frequently, and they have to have reasons. All right. I liked I'm it not- better than the magician, which I hated. Well, good. I'm glad you didn't hate it. I'm glad that there are some really good parts to it that you did like. Yeah, I loved. Setting and all the magic was great. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like who I would potentially recommend this to. If you like high fantasy and you like more character-based plots for high fantasy, where you're following a single person and their journey to like self-realization, then this is a book for you. But also, just read The Name of the Wind. But also that wasn't Asian-inspired. I don't know. I think this is his first book, so... He has really great potential, and this is not a popular book, and sometimes those are a little bit iffy. Mm-hmm. Are I, you going to pick up the next one? I don't know. Maybe not. Fair. See if you're ever in the mood for it. I probably won't be. There's so many books in this world. There's so many books in this world. Glad you read this one, though? Yeah. Not yeah. a waste of your time? No, no. I, I did, like I said, world building was really cool. Mm-hmm. Good. It's kind of like fine-tuning my preferences as well. You got to get some duds in there in order to do that. Yes. There's another Asian fantasy book that I have on hold that is a beautiful cover. Like, I want to own this book. I hope it's really freaking good. It's also adult fantasy. Which one is it? Daughter of the Moon Goddess. That cover is phenomenal. I want that book. I've heard good things. I heard it reads like a fairy tale. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. Depends on, I think, what you're in the mood for and who you are as a person. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. Erin, what book did you read? Because I have no idea. Because we were bad and didn't do our homework this week. (laughs) I know. We got a straight up F in our homework. Uh, Well, okay. Maybe a D because we did our own readings. Um, I feel like that's a C. Okay. C. Yeah. We finished our books. We're prepared. We have notes. C plus. Yeah, we got a C plus. We're average. We're average. Yeah. In the world of chemis at the University of Minnesota. Correct. Um, I read Portrait of a Thief by Grace D. Lee. Okay. It's a new release. It was released in April. So April 5th, 2022. Okay, cool. Let's see. Goodreads. It's a 3.64 with about 5,000 ratings. Mm. Um, Yes. And I kind of get it. So (laughs) okay, I'll get into it. So what it's about. It's about this, it's, it's about five characters. The main guy being Will Chen. And Will Chen is working in a museum when, it's, when it gets robbed. And one of the thieves slip him, slips him a card with a phone number on it. So he calls the phone number. And on the other line is a mysterious Chinese benefactor where all of a sudden Will finds himself being the ringleader of a job that could land his crew $50 million dollars. And so now he's his crew. He has to put one together. So this this benefactor calls him or offers her card or whatever. And she's like, put together a crew, do this thing for me. And you'll get 50, you and your crew will get $50 million. 
And so he puts together a team and their kind of job is to rob five world-class museums all over the world in order to return five artifacts to China that were kind of stolen by Western countries during like conquest and war and like colonialism type. Well, I love this synopsis. I would read this. This sounds amazing. Yes. Right. Okay. They're really doing like the higher powers work. I don't know what whoever higher, whatever higher power or lack of higher power. That's awesome. They're bringing it back. They're doing justice. Yeah. That higher power is a very wealthy Chinese woman who believes in her, believes that Chinese artifacts should be in China. I mean, they should be, but Mm kind of said that a wealthy woman is deciding that. But glad she's a woman. I know, right? I mean, God is probably a woman anyway. So maybe God is a woman. (laughs) Right? Anyway, okay, so this book very heavily follows Will Chen and his team. So Will is a student at Harvard. He's an art history student that also dabbles in art. Art history, but okay, so he's actually making art. Yes, yes. Okay, got it, got it. Yes, art history, but makes art. Um, And he's kind of, like I said, he's kind of the ringleader of this team. Okay. So the people that he brings in are his sister, Irene, and she's kind of the grifter, I guess. And so she's a public policy major at Duke and she can talk her way out of anything. I'm sorry. I have a question. Yeah. What's a grifter? Oh yeah. I I watched too many like crime shows growing up. A grifter (laughs) is like the person, it's like the people person. It's the extrovert who can wield their power, how they, as like a weapon almost and get what they want just by talking to people. So it's our friend Maddie. Yes, but a little more suave, a little. Sorry, Maddie. (laughs) Well, if Maddie like was in a heist novel, this would be her character. Yes. Yeah. She'd be Um, tuned up and yeah. She's the one that they send in to like, we need to smooch this person into getting like access to information or like we need to like distract someone. Like she's the people person. Okay. And this is Irene. She gets whatever she wants. Everything goes her way. That kind of thing disclaimer my boyfriend slash partner calls Aaron Irene so I think this is very funny (laughs) I hope I'm this Irene this Irene is a bit of a badass so I'll take she's extroverted so it's not you yeah so it's it's really not me but I can pretend I can read this book and pretend it's me cool but yeah, and then Irene's college roommate, her name is Lily Wu. She's an engineering major who races cars in her free time. Badass. I love her already. I want to be her. She's so cool. Dude, this is giving me like Atlas Six level character vibes. Yes, yeah. They've all got very cool backstories as one should in a in a heist novel. But yeah, she raises cars in her free time. So she's getaway driver type thing. And that's how she kind of gets roped in through Irene. And then another guy is Daniel Lang. So he's a family friend of Will and Irene Chen. And he is a pre-med student who also has some experience being a thief. So he's, he's the only one. Does he steal body parts and organs as a pre-med student? student yeah oh my gosh that'd be so cool but no I guess I didn't pay attention I should have paid attention more I'm a bad I'm a bad student I actually like didn't realize he was a thief until after I read the book and I read the synopsis over and I was like huh I guess that's why he was brought into the into the fold but yeah bad on me but yes so he's the only one with real thieving abilities and the final person a part of this group is Alex Huang she's an MIT dropout who now works in Silicon Valley as a software engineer badass yes so she's kind of like badass I love these people you have to be in order to like pull off a heist but it's a very good like mix of people with different skill sets you're probably gonna get into this but like I'm super hyped up about this book right now and I want to read it and so I'm sitting here wondering why it's 3.64 stars. Yes, I, I, I'll get it into it. It sounds so good. Like they're, they're, are they all Chinese? They're all Chinese American. See, this is, this is, sounds so good. I don't want to yeah. be disappointed. <laughs> I mean, all right. So the, the real issue here. Okay. So kind of like the main part of this book is that the five of them are all Chinese Americans. And so they all kind of struggle with their identity as being both Chinese and American. And they have really a complicated relationship with their identity and with China in general. And so they have varying degrees of loyalty to China and that they need to steal these artifacts back to get the artifacts where they belong, you know, okay. in China. 
China, but they all believe in it as as a cause, um, which is why, like part of the reason why they join and not just for the 50 million. And so this book really, it really focuses a lot on like the lingering effects of colonialism as well as them exploring their, or just reflecting on their identities uh, as Chinese American. And okay. it- Yeah, I just have a question because I feel like it's hard, like as, as cool and badass as it sounds, I couldn't imagine like a lot of like our friends are cool and badass, but you know, we're not as cool and diverse, but in order to actually carry out a heist is a very different thing. So I'm just wondering what is propelling these individuals to do that. Like, I know it's like for a greater cause and to bring these pieces of art back to China where they belong. Mm-hmm. And I know that they like struggle with their identities, but I feel like usually in a high situation, you need like, they all seem college educated individuals, very smart people, but usually you at least have like some person who's like coming out of jail or like, what do they have to lose if they get caught? Like there's always that aspect in a heist novel. Um, or so like you're- they're doing something to get $10 million to like pay for like a family member's like groundbreaking surgery or something like there's gotta be I don't know. Yeah. So you're getting into a lot of questions that are are brought up about the book. So you're kind of you kind of brought up how like I'll, I'll say this. So everyone who went into this book went into it for the heist. They went into it for the exact reasons why you said it's so cool. They went in for myself included in Ocean's Eleven in a book format okay and so when I read a read a heist book watch a heist movie I'm so much more curious about how it's done than the pure fact that this item was stolen and like how much money they got you know I want to know like how smart they were to make this happen and whatnot and this book was it glossed over that completely like you had to suspend your discipline disbelief for the heist part of it like the book Hmm. was the book was written as a commentary in in my head the book was written on a commentary on i guess like western museums keeping artifacts that they got as like spoils of war and like claiming that as theirs and thinking that it's rightfully theirs because they got it and through this history and it also explored like the feelings of chinese americans and their identity within America as with a Chinese background and having like being like either like first generation students or like uh like first generation to go to college type thing or like their parents relocating from China and so they have a lot of like pressure on them to do well and to do a STEM career and like that kind of thing um okay and it was 90% those things and 10% about the heist okay interesting so that's not what I was expecting. Yes. And every and every review I read is that people went in with different expectations of what they thought was happening and they came out disappointed, which is exactly my feelings. I went in, I wanted a heist, I wanted Ocean's Eleven, I wanted, you know, very plot driven with some like character work in there, and it just wasn't that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's where like a middle line would have been based off what I'm hearing you say about this book, if they all had these like deeper reasons for participating mm-hmm. in the heist, like I get like as Chinese Americans, like the struggle there, but having on top of that, like that's one reason, but having individual reasons as well, instead of like, I guess like the more collective group reasoning yeah, yeah. would probably like more character development almost. And then still having like maybe 30% plot would have mm-hmm. helped i don't know yeah yeah i uh thank you for reminding me of that part i forgot about that uh yeah no one in this book really had any dire money situation they were all just kind of like i want to like pay off student loans i want to travel i want to like pay for my like siblings college like that kind of thing like there wasn't mm. any like none of them took or like participated in the job because they had to they all chose to which is very unrealistic for a heist situation because right now like have you seen money heist like the first the netflix show it's like all of them have these very good reasons for participating Mm -hmm. and it's just right now it's like hard to fathom these like i said college age students participating in a heist like what let alone sounds awesome 
five college age students is that what you mean or do you mean I five mean, heist uh oh both. right because they're each a different museum mm-hmm. oh my god yeah that's a lot of work you would think this would be heavily plot driven and there are five different museums oh and my god. four of them are still in school oh my god we're as a as chemi majors at one of the hardest programs in the mm-hmm. country when will we have had time to pull off a heist i don't know i don't know and even like like they're all in duke or harvard or this like it's it's just so like you have to suspend your disbelief for the heist part of it like they are i don't like that. taking a couple days off like they're taking a week off traveling to another country to do this heist and then they come back with the thing in their suitcase bullshit yeah yeah I this book is not about the heist the satisfaction you're getting out of this book is not related to the heist which leads to a lot of missed expectations including my own I wanted a heist book this yeah I want a heist book Mm -hmm. I like reading the synopsis like you heard me firsthand I was hyped I was about to like get this book right right I was I was so excited to like read it and I like started reading and I was like Okay, like I am, I will say like the talk about the author is Chinese American. And so her account of, or like all of these characters like struggling with their being pulled in two different directions from their Chinese heritage and their like American, like being in America and like not thinking they're American enough for America and not thinking they're Chinese enough for China. Like it was all like very good discussions. Like there's so many like good quotes and stuff. Like that was really good. It sounds um, like a really hard book to rate. No. Maybe not, but. Cause like, I, I even, I even have a little bit of complaint about that too. Cause like this talk about the word they use diaspora, which I had to Google what it means. Yeah, it's what is that? The dispersion of any people from their original homeland. So like dealing with the aftermath of leaving your home, which a lot of these people were or like their parents were. And like the relationship with their parents was some of the characters was like pretty big in the story. So that was nice. But they all had approximately the same level or like feelings of like internal conflict regarding their being Chinese American and like their identity. Like it wasn't really a spectrum. Hmm. I I feel like with a group of five people, they'd have different things to add to the narrative, but I, I agree. And like, they all had, they all had different backgrounds or like their parent, like their, none of their parents or anything had like the same story or like that kind of thing. So just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not Chinese American. I'm not Asian American. I'm not any of that. So I can't really like comment on that, but I, I I just, I feel like there should have been more of a spectrum to that. And it also like, there was no gradual change or development over the course of the novel. So their feelings regarding um, them, like their identity was the same at the beginning as at the end. Then I feel like they're not really accomplishing anything with the book. Maybe it's just maybe discussing it is the accomplishment there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yes, I think it was a good start to the conversation. I just don't think it was a proper conversation. It wasn't super complicated or nuanced. Like, I think I got with reading like a couple choice chapters, I think I could have gotten like the theme of the book just overall like I don't think I needed to read all I don't know 370 pages or something to get the theme of the book I think I could have read 50 and it would have told me the same thing yeah I feel like maybe if if those topics are very repetitive like they seem very important but that's where they could have included more plot correct yes and like it goes into like so there's like five heists and at one point they're like they're in they're between heists or like they stop planning a heist and you're just like following them along that and because you're just following the characters and you're following their kind of internal monologue or whatever it gets boring because you've heard it all before nothing's really changing like there's like tiny like little bits of the plot that like moves it forward but like the pacing was off the heist part was cool the initial talk about the identity and the the wrongness of Western societies keeping Chinese artifacts. That was very interesting and enlightening, but I wanted, I wanted more. I just wanted more. Yeah. Is, who's the author? Are they Asian American or Asian? And is this their first book, second book? Grace D. Lee. 
Okay. Um, she is Chinese American. This is her debut novel. Okay. Yes. She's currently in, I want to say med school in Texas. She was. So she's just writing a book for fun with her free time. Maybe, she, maybe this is a realistic thing where they can pull off heists in their free time. Oh my gosh. Maybe, maybe this is like her. <laughs> hey guys, just let you know I was part of a heist, but yeah, I, it was just a little lacking for me. I do want to read. So as I said before, I was kind of reading a lot of Goodreads reviews about this book because I wanted to like organize my thoughts a little bit. And I found yeah. a reviewer who states that he is Chinese himself and that his family immigrated to China when he was 12. His name is Justin Chen. Okay. Obviously, I have no way of corroborating this. So if this is someone pretending to be Chinese Canadian, um, I have no way of saying it. But I just I wanted to give a a little snippet of like a review from someone who is is Asian Canadian or just has dealt with feelings of identity relating to leaving that kind of homeland. So I'm just going to read a little bit of his review from it. Um, Sounds good. So what Justin Chen is, and this is on Goodreads, he says, Gracie Lee has perfectly captured the invisible pressure felt by the children where the definition of a success that's worthy of uprooting an entire family is solely judged in practical means, a recognizable degree or financial stability rather than individual preference. Parentheses, I was forced to apply only to universities rather than the art school I wished. Portrait of the Thief absolutely shines when it comes to articulating the personal turmoil of its early 20s characters from the generational slash cultural gap between the children and the parents to the lack of identity when one is strung between two cultures. So I just wanted to read that as like, you know, I personally thought that the author did a fantastic job of talking about Chinese American identity and just feeling like struggling with that. But I wanted a, a most likely like, Chinese Canadian to kind of confirm that since I can't really comment on that. Yeah, I almost feel like, like I'm still intrigued by the book. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like it'd be better if people would know going into it that it was more based off of the feelings of being Chinese American than like the heist itself. I think people would probably give it better reviews. I think so like, I mean, I'm still intrigued, but I know it's been prefaced to me what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Goodreads synopsis is definitely... It's so awesome. misleading. It, it so is misleading. very, very misleading. <laughs> yeah, so this is me, like, telling you guys, like, I think this is, a like, a pretty good book, especially of, like, the talk about the museum ethics and the Chinese-American, like, experience, if that kind of sounds interesting, I would for sure pick it up. But if you're going in for a heist and you want an Ocean's Eleven, like, pick another book maybe but yeah I wanted to read a couple more quotes just because I thought like she did have some very enlightening quotes about like the previous themes like we've already talked about and I kind of want to okay, highlight yeah. that um, yeah so this is from uh, let's see one of the the two men that are part of the heist and it's talking about how he's kind of separated from his like Chinese culture so he's saying loss was hesitation in his voice when he spoke in his mother tongue the myths he did not know, a childhood that felt so vast and alien from his parents that he did not know how to cross it. Yeah. I mean, I could never feel or experience any of that, but... Yeah, right? That's a, I think that's a really based off of what I've heard about how Chinese Americans feel in the United States or in North America in general. I feel like mm -hmm. that probably really sums it up beautifully. Sounds beautifully written as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, yeah. And just like uh, one more kind of quote off of that point. His parents, the first ones to go to college, the first ones to leave. They had come to America with nothing but their educations, and they had built a life here of dreams and hope and determination. He could not be anything less than exceptional. To just real, like, I'm sorry, I was gonna make a bad joke. I shouldn't <laughs> say it. Or you're I... gonna get shot in an elementary school because the United States is fucked. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, bring your kids here if you don't want to see them live past like elementary school preference to our listeners today is the day that we found out about the shooting in texas of where 14 children passed away very sad so yeah. our hearts go goes out to the the victims families and their and, families and yeah in our you know our country because i think we're all we're all grieving yes a lot of a lot of really messed up stuff happening right now so. yeah Sorry, guys, to, to, to switch gears Bring there. It down a little bit. Uh, okay. It's all good, but 
Thank you, Selva. She agrees. Yeah, Selva agrees. <laughs> so happy. So yeah, those those like quotes are really good. And I do want to, because I don't think I've talked a lot about, because before I read this book, I hadn't really thought about museums kind of keeping the artwork that they shouldn't keep, that doesn't belong to them and their culture. I didn't really, you know, I didn't think about where they got pieces from, like whether it's from war or conquest or colonialism. Yeah, I also hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah. And this was like, you know, the like the whole purpose of the heist were because of that. And so there's a there's a quote here by Will Chen, um, who is the, the leader of the heist who like kind of started this whole thing. And he says, art belongs to the creator, not the conqueror. No matter what the law says or what treaties are signed, for too long museums have held on to art that isn't theirs to keep, bought more because they know they can. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a, a pretty big issue with the wealthy in general and those who conquer other places Mm -hmm. they do things because they can and because they have power over the suppressed or those individuals who do not have a voice in Mm -hmm. the situation and it is very sad and i mean i'm glad that you read this book we're having this discussion because i would have never thought that art or museums would have played a role in this like I said, like, this is all news to me. So I know I, it is very interesting. I, I would have never known. I know. I think coming out of this book, because the one, one of the other things I didn't get this from this book that I wanted is kind of, you know, it brought this to my attention, but it didn't give me any, I wanted real life, tangible facts, you know, like, because it's making these like claims, I'm just like, I closed the book and I was like, okay, I want to, I want to research. So I'm curious as well, too. I know, right? Now I need to do like a history paper on like what, what museums, because I, I think this is based on a true story. I just, I need to, or I, I don't A true story where college students performing uh, not, a heist? Not college students. I just think that Chinese artifacts were disappearing from Western museums. Okay. Okay. Yes. That makes um, sense. So I, I am very curious to see, you know, because I'm ignorant on this topic and I'm like, well, this just brought to my attention something that's very, A, interesting and B, just very sad. And I just want to, I just want to know and be more enlightened is not the right word, but I just, I just want to know. And so it's on my to-do list. I'm going to, I'm going to read, I'm going to read about how museums get their art and which ones have done it unethically. And if there is a standard in museums now about how they get it and like traceability of how they got it and what they're doing to make sure they're not holding on to artwork that doesn't belong to their culture. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. I'm curious as well. Yeah. So this, this book brought up um, a lot of great topics that I think, I think it would have hit home a lot harder if they would have, if Grace would have done, if she would have left out the heist, to be honest, like I would have just read like a literary fiction novel. Yeah. About that's totally fair. Yeah, I think it. She was trying to do a little too much. Um, I think she was maybe maybe not, but it seems like she was trying to catch people's attention by the Goodreads summary, which it it did. But that's not always. Mm -hmm. I also don't know how much. I guess the author has control of that, so maybe the publisher. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about the difference between Mm -hmm. the author's preferences in a synopsis versus what the publisher puts out that's very very interesting as well yeah yeah so whoever wrote the synopsis maybe they were trying to catch the attention of the public to like draw people there so this because this book is also very big it was a book of the month selection so book of the month for like the one where you pay yeah it's a subscription service right that that one books to your door yeah and then puts book of the month on the thing that we don't like yeah, yeah. I mm. yeah, yeah. I feel yes. you, brother. I feel you. Yeah. I don't yeah. Maddie and I don't really like when when yeah, companies I, put their stamp on like something that you can't take off. Like if it's a permanent permanent sticker, permanent marking, and like book of the month does that. So like I think, you know, their prices yeah. are great. I think their selection is great. I just won't buy the idea is great. Lot. Yeah. The idea is great. But yeah. it's like if you're I, I'm very selective in the books I purchase. And so for me, it's like, mm. like if I hate a book and I own it, I gotta get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's where like Amazon imprints, I returned, how many Wheel of Time books are there? I returned all of those because they have the stamp on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
we're very serious about which books we allow in our collection mm-hmm. and having the stamps on them, having any form of advertising is a, is a no-go. So yep. for us specifically, if y'all like love book the month, I am so happy for you guys. Oh, it's yeah. I mean, I think it's a cool idea. I'm just picky and annoying. Yeah. And I, and also I hate myself for it. So it's like, not that I'm doing the right thing. Right. I wish I, I wish I was books. easygoing. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I wish I wasn't so anal about the books that I put on my shelves. But yeah, to go back to what we we're talking about, it was a book of the month selection and book of the month does a lot of, they sponsor a lot of booktubers. And so I hear about like the books that are, they're being released that month. And so like, they've done a lot of uh, PR. advertising and PR for this book. And so it's pretty popular. That's interesting. So what did you end up rating it? Three stars. Okay. So we're both about at the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For different reasons, too. We both read very different books again. I'm proud of us for that. Yeah, we did read really different books. I I feel like I just, I really like when we take our prompts and go two different directions with it. Yep, and I think we're going to keep doing it, so. <laughs> I know, that's what we're good at. I kind of love it. Yeah. Would you recommend this to anybody specifically? Oh, boy. Um... I guess anyone who kind of wants to start the conversation or just, I guess, hmm. I, okay. So I don't read a lot of books about someone from another country moving to somewhere else and then struggling with their identity because of it. And so I think it was a very good book for that, for that reason. And then like the, like the little bits of like highest, I like once I suspended my disbelief, I was like, oh, that's really cool. So if you kind of want to like have an intro to how dis- not displaced, those struggling with their identity in a different, in a different country, if you want an intro to those kind of feelings and how people of a different culture like think in their head or I would highly recommend this book to those people not to the people who want a heist yeah that's what i say that but don't read it if you are only wanting a heist okay that's good to know Mm -hmm. well cool yeah i think we both feel very similar about our books this is interesting but we like we both liked very specific elements and it seems to me like both of us liked the topic elements only or like yes i think you're right yeah that's very cool yeah they're interesting i guess yeah, take it as you will. So, I mean, yeah. So I think these authors are doing great things. I just, they're also both debut novels. So we could get even better things coming out of this. Yeah, wow. That's exciting. Oh my gosh. I would love to see what, for a, for a first novel, it really sounds like both of our people did great things for it being their first novel. I agree. I'm, I'm really excited to see where our authors go from here. You yeah. know, I think I would pick up another Grace D. Lee book and see where she goes so yeah and I pick up another JT Greathouse as well Mm -hmm. I even think almost see part of me does want to hang on for his second one and see like I don't know part of me wants to follow the journey I feel like a a hipster book reader right now like reading it for the quote rather than the pleasure it's like how I felt with Walk the Moon when I was like one of their original fans I'm like I'm here for the journey of you Mm. guys becoming but also their music was better earlier on so I don't know Anyway, this is derailed. (laughs) It's all good. Um, Yeah, they're doing great things. We appreciate good and bad for both books. So, and that's, that's how it works. Yeah, I was excited we read them and I'm excited for next week. Yeah, cool. Y'all will have to stay tuned to figure out what our prompt is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We're keeping it mysterious because that's the kind of girls we are. We're quirky. We're quirky. All right. Love you guys as friends. Love you guys as lovers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.